Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 15. I have Tim joining us for the interludes along with Paul and Elliot as normal. Uh, Tim, how are you? I am doing quite well. Thank you. Good. Uh, Paul, do you have your two words? I do. I have them right here. Uh, my two words for the interludes in this uh, chapter were unleashed and questioning. Unleashed and questioning. Okay. Uh, Elliot, what are your two words? So for this episode, I have discipline and cursed. Discipline, cursed, unleashed, and questioning. Was that your is that your second one? Okay. Yes, sir. Let's let's discuss these. I bet I can explain where your words came from. Yeah, yeah. Tim, go ahead. Try, get, try to try to guess Paul's words if you can. Yeah. So unleashed and questioning. Unleashed. It's obviously Zeth. Um, just man, he goes ham. Ugh. And um, questioning. It's Ilan and his father, um, and especially with Dalinar just questioning himself like am I doing the right thing do I need to sit down do I need to not that's exactly right yeah that's uh, <laughs> what those were for the only other thing I thought about with questioning actually was in one of the other interludes with uh, Baxel I mean it was kind of a brief moment about asking a question if you want to get killed and stuff and we'll, we'll talk for that in a second but it, it wasn't a major thing yeah that was so with Dalinar was the main reason for questioning. Okay. Uh, Elliot, what were your two words? I, I can try to guess yours. Okay. I had discipline and cursed. So cursed, um, it's probably a combination of Zeth and Dalinar. Dalinar doesn't know if he's cursed, and Zeth certainly thinks he's cursed because he has to kill all of these people, and he really doesn't want to and uh sorry i don't remember what was the other word was uh discipline discipline it's not back doesn't have to do with baxel doesn't have to do with uh jeranid jeranid or does it it might i mean it's heranid thank you very much (laughs) jeranid um, I uh, yeah, I listened to the audiobook by the way. I was, <laughs> it's been a while since I listened to that episode, that chapter actually. Um, I would assume it has to do with Dalinar as well. That's my guess. You're you're mostly on point. The 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 cursed certainly with with Zeth and him believing himself to be to be cursed. Dalinar he thinks he's cursed. And then this new information we're getting about the old magic mm. and the boon and the curse, which I want to talk about. And then discipline, definitely Dalinar. Dalinar shows some very impressive self-discipline and self-control at the the end of this uh, section. But then discipline, I kind of tied into the other interludes a little bit as well. In the 
in the Baxel interlude, interlude seven, the mistress shows a lot of discipline as she she doesn't steal anything. She's just wrecking everything for whatever reason. And then slightly tied it into the the ardents, the old ardent couple um, episode, and that they they talk about how they're they're kind of off on their own. They're isolated, but they they're still disciplined in pursuing their arts. They're not just kind of like letting their lives go to to laziness. They're they're still being disciplined to try and chase after what they're studying. So I thought that was interesting. Nice, nice. All right. Let's let's stop for a spell check. It's been a couple it's been a couple weeks since we had a spell check, but we only have one this week. And that is the King of Yakoved. Uh Elliot, can you try to tell us how you would say his name? Uh I can try. A lot of syllables here, but hopefully I can do this one. I'm gonna go for it. It's King Hanavanar. Hanavanar. Okay. That's that is how they say it in the audiobook. Uh Paul, yes. would you like to spell this? I would. I would. I actually feel pretty confident with this one. I don't usually feel super confident in my spelling, but I have H A N A V A N A R. You got it. No hesitation. Yep, let's right. go. It's almost a perfect palindrome. It's just an R instead of an H at the end there and King Hanavanar. Perfect. Boom. Good work. Okay. Without any ado, let's just jump into the interlude seven with Baxel. Any any first impressions, Elliot and Paul, before Tim reveals what's actually happening here? This this was classic interlude for me, where I'm just kind of scratching my head the whole time, going. What is going on? And the the mistress seems very important. She seems very powerful, but I have no context to tell me why or how or anything like that. And then we get the interesting discussion about the old magic, which I want to talk about, but I didn't honestly pick up too much out of this. I'm sure there's a lot here, but I was this was one where I was pretty confused most of the time. I always love the interludes and I always love how we are kind of just dropped into this new little environment and have no clue what's going on. And, and that definitely happened with this one. Uh, we hear about the mistress and I thought it was pretty fascinating because the mistress seems extremely like, seems super powerful and you don't know anything of why she's powerful, but she seems really, devious almost like we we hear from Baxel and part of my uh, weird questioning was uh, he asks like why why what's happening he doesn't even know what's happening and he's working for the mistress I guess and I guess his his co-worker was like well you could ask if if you want to die like i don't know it's it's uh, super mysterious and and weird and this mistress lady seems really strong and powerful casually mentioning you know maybe i should get a shard blade or something you know she she's she's crazy i don't know what's going on here at all but i i think it's cool so for the first time reader on this this interlude all you're really supposed to pick up on is the first mention of the old magic. They give you a little explanation of how the old magic works. 
you request a boon, you get what the Night Watcher uh, deems you deserve, and then you get a curse to go along with it. And that's really the, all you're supposed to learn because Dalinar, you, you learn in the next chapter, in the next actual chapter, that Dalinar has gone to seek the old yeah. magic. Um, so that's that's kind of the only purpose for the interludes, uh, for this interlude, for first time readers. But uh, Tim, do you have any uh, tidbits for us as a as an experienced Cosmia reader? Yeah. Um, first, I want to say with all of these interludes, they're slow burners, and so there's things for the first reader. There's things for the multiple time reader of that book and then there's things for once you've read multiple books coming back and so i'm sure i don't know everything yet because not all all the books are out but something that i found interesting a connection i made uh this time that i've made some other times as well is that at the very beginning of this book on page nine zeth uh in the prologue when he's walking down the hallway in Kolinar, um, he notes that one of the statues is missing. And like that that's weird because Gavilar was a, a devout Voran man and so he would naturally have all the statues there. Um, and so that was interesting. Just like wondering to myself, you know, maybe these are connected and if so, how long is has this uh, lady the mistress been doing this um and then yeah my only other thing was just the casual mention of a of a shard blade as well as you'll notice sometimes that people have there are distinctive uh physical features of people from different areas in roshar and so it always sticks out to me when it says something like um, in this chapter that she had shin shin eyes, but she was dark like a makabaki. And it's just but tall like an alethi. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're just wondering, like, okay, you know, what happened here? Um, like, what's going on? So this isn't the first time we've met someone in an interlude that doesn't match a traditional um traditional body set from a specific country uh back in the ishik interlude the foreigners that came to visit ishik ishik didn't know where they were from uh, they they didn't have any matching like their their eye shape was wrong their i don't remember what the specifics of them but he couldn't place them he didn't know where they were from they spoke a weird language so you're you're supposed to start seeing that not everyone fits into this mold of this this person's asia asish this person's from babatharnan this one person's from the pure lake that type of thing on on her description i did note that her eyes were described as so light that they were almost white and it may not be important but i'm going to come back to that at the end of this chapter okay end of this episode I'm looking forward to that. Elliot always has great predictions. <laughs> well, this isn't a prediction. This is more of just a a, a hmm moment. I can mm. I can press you a little bit on it right now. Uh, do you guys have any uh, predictions on who the mistress is, and that might uh, 
that the eye color might play into that, Elliot? Yeah, to answer your question, I I don't know. I really don't know. She her her casual mention of of a shard blade makes me think that she's really powerful. Like she just kind of offhand mentions, "Oh, you know, maybe I should get myself one of those." Like so far, we've learned that it's a pretty monumental effort to try and get a shard blade. You have to take down a shard bear to do that. So is she just casually capable of doing this or I don't know. I'm I'm confused here. I really don't know. The the one tie-in that I do have, you're you're forcing me to spoil my my tie-in here, is later on in the in the Dalinar chapter, when he's talking with the when he's encountering the Knights Radiant, one of the radiants is described with a similar eye color, if you will. He's described as his his eyes are so light that they're almost white. And so I don't know quite what to do with that. They just kind of, both of those kind of seem to stand out to me. I, I guess I would just conclude that maybe that person, the the knight and the mistress come from the same place, but I have no idea what that place would be. So I don't know. I'm lost. That actually gets me thinking because I never thought of that comparison there, but obviously the mistress is someone who's very powerful. And it's if, if a getting a shard blade is like a second hand, like, uh, maybe I could get one, maybe not, you know, might as well. Um, she, if she's not concerned with it, that means she's probably been around a long time and probably powerful. Maybe she's like a fallen, like, radiant mm. or something like that. Because she seems very, like, e- like, has very, like, malicious intent. And we've even spoken, we're, we're learning a little bit about the old magic. So maybe she's part of that, like, curse part of... That. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think she's some kind of like major figure that like fell into darkness. Um, but that that's as that's as good of a prediction as I can do. I mean, in, in other interludes, we've met characters that have lived a long time before. Um, I don't. What's his? Do you guys remember his name? Ax- Axie's the collector. Axie's the collector. Mm-hmm. Right. He lives a long time. So, but yeah, you're right. Maybe she has been on, around a long time. All right. Any any thoughts on on Baxel, or should we move on? I'm good. Let's talk about Haranid. That's right. how you say it. <laughs> okay. Haranid uh, with a G. Yes, I expected that to be one of the words. Not gonna lie, but I see it, it because it's the title, so I would have known how to spell it, which it, I would have that, like that wrong. Is that really how you say it? Are, are are you joking? Because I would that have gotten was, that completely wrong. That was not a joke. I was as soon as I heard it, I was like, "That's gonna gotta be a spell check word," but you can't because it's the title of the the chapter. But it was Haranid. Like right. I listened to it. Wow. Then less than three hours ago. I us I usually do both listening and reading during both weeks, but I just did the reading this time, so I I don't I didn't remember how to say that. So I'm glad you're here, Paul. <laughs> I Geranid. definitely okay. listened to that earlier today and still heard Geranid. <laughs> it's, I, not not that they said that, just I heard mm-hmm. that. I would promise Haranid. Any any anyway. first impressions on this on this interlude? I'll start with Paul. So honestly, as far as the interludes have gone, I've always been super enticed and I felt like this one may have been the most 
boring, I guess, because which is fine. It wasn't. It wasn't actually boring, but like in comparison to it's me, a, it's okay for it to be boring. You don't have to. You don't have to sugarcoat it. True, but it it, it didn't carry on too long. You know, it's pretty short. Um, but I was really interested in. They mentioned shades more, and I was yes. honestly kind of been really curious about that. And I feel like that was the the biggest intrigue from this interlude. Um, so we see these like. I don't know exactly what they are. I guess they are some like scholars. Like one of them works in chemistry and, but like with food, does a lot of cooking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was slightly confused about these people's part, like what they do, honestly, slightly confused. Um, but it seemed like a lot of philosophical questions, like uh, what was it? talking about like food for the mind and like how that would be. And and mm-hmm. they mentioned shades more in that. And I was really confused, but curious because, uh, because they specifically mentioned shades more as a place that that would be possible. Right. So I, I don't know if I can get any information on that or not. So they're both ardents and they're just studying. They're, they're obviously studying spread in this chapter, but they're not your normal ardents because they obviously have a relationship here. They call each other dearest, and they kit like he kisses her on on the forehead. There's there's a relationship here, and ardents aren't supposed to be in relationships like that. So there's something off here, but we don't know really what it is. And then they start talking about the cognitive realm, the spiritual realm, and the physical realm. Um. So, uh, yeah. Any thoughts, Elliot? Yeah, a few. I I noted the the relationship between the two of them, and that definitely caught my eye because I thought, like you said, the Ardens weren't supposed to be in relationships, and I kind of got the impression this is like an old married couple, basically that have been together for for a long, long time. And I I couldn't help but think that is this what Shalon and Cabsol could have been if they'd you know run off together and then you know gone off and hidden and and just, you know, continued studying random stuff, would, would they have ended up being this couple who's, you know, joking around and making food for each other and, and whatever they're doing? That it is a super cute, funny old couple. I did also note the physical realm versus the spiritual realm versus the cognitive realm and how those were mentioned specifically. And the cognitive realm is mentioned in conjunction with what you're talking about, Paul, Shadesmar. And that caught my eye immediately because that is the name of the chapter where we had all the Shalon shenanigans going down. So that that crazy mind-trippy chapter where Shalon, we learn Shalon has a shard blade, she goes off into this other world, she soul casts, all of that. The title of that chapter is Shadesmar. And that chapter didn't explain that at all. But now I'm starting to think, well, hold on a second. Is Shadesmar the cognitive realm? And did Shalon visit this cognitive realm, Shadesmar, in that chapter? I- I'm beginning to think so. I did not well, remember that, that was Go. called Shadesmar. Sorry. Tim. Go for it, Tim. Yeah. No, no, no. You're good. I honestly, yeah, I didn't know that either. Good. Thank you for pointing that out. You, <laughs> you noticed a lot of things. Um, yeah. As as for what what I can tell you right now, 
you're going to learn more and you're going to learn more pretty quickly. The end of the book is coming up pretty quickly. And so you're going to, you're going to learn more. Um, but really this is just an introduction to those ideas and the, those words. So when they show up more, you're like, wait a second, I've seen that. Where is that? Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on anything else to actually learn about the cognitive realm or Shadesmar, or if I'm even drawing the right connection there, that the cognitive realm is Shadesmar, but at least I have a name to look out for as we as we keep on reading. So I'm encouraged that you say more is, is coming, hopefully in this book mm -hmm. and not, you know, four books down the line. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I'm excited to learn more about that, especially now realizing that we briefly saw that with the Shalon chapters, where they got super super crazy um and I'll, I'll say like these these interludes did introduce us to some stuff but as far as the interludes have gone in my opinion these ones weren't as exciting but the last interlude here definitely made up for that definitely took this from like a two out of ten on excitement to a ten out of ten the, the zeth chapter was definitely one to write home about it was pretty incredible and i absolutely loved it what the chapter was so what was what was great about it talk to me the so one of my words was unleashed right yeah so we get to see zeth uh, it, it's it's kind of like it's it's a really like emotional chapter right because uh, we know zeth it, it, that someone bad has his oath stone and so he's been sent to kill a whole a whole group of people at at a dinner and then so we know that he doesn't want to kill these people right but he does it because of his oath correct and so i was impressed with like genuinely very impressed with the writing and how descriptive the action was like i was really on edge like just listening to it but then we get this moment where where zeth really actually gets mad and he gets a justification for what he's doing there's a conversation with the king and he finds out that this was partly a trap and so he is the king now to blame for the deaths of the innocent people there and so zeth completely goes off he absorbs so much stormlight that he like it says it's like really trying to escape from him and so it's so easy for him to force that out because he absorbed so much that he's like forcing it out and it even specifies that he let go of his shard blade and it's completely specified that he didn't need it because he was the real weapon and i thought that was so sick and there's so much like zeth is just like an absolute monster i, I don't even understand how strong he is it <laughs> whenever whenever he speaks with the king and asks who he is he just says death and i was like really <laughs> believe you i totally believe you like, uh and it, it was just incredibly well written and incredibly like action-packed that it, it was really crazy so something i want to highlight with these three interludes is brandon sanderson is really good at both world building and piquing your interest with world building and action writing he is really good with both like the the previous chapter 
it's two Ardens sitting next to each other talking about the spiritual realm and the cognitive realm. And that piqued my interest on my first read of, wait, what are we talking about? I don't, I don't understand what's happening here. I want to, I want to know what's, what's happening with these spread. Why, why is the spread not changing? And then the very next chapter, Brandon Sanderson writes like this. Another group came at Zeth from the side and he drew stormlight into his hand and flung it in a full lashing across the floor at his, at their feet. This was the lashing that bonded objects when the men crossed it. Their shoes stuck to the floor. They tripped and found their hands and bodies lashed to the floor as well. Zeth stepped through them, mournfully, striking. The king edged away as if to round the chamber and escape. Zeth sprayed a table's top, table's top with a full lashing, then infused the entire thing with a basic lashing as well, pointed at the doorway. The table flipped into the air and crashed against the exit, the side bearing the full lashing sticking it to the wall. People tried to pry it out of the way, but that only made them bunch up as Zeth waded into them, Shardblade sweeping. I specifically remember hearing that quote while I was listening and instantly just being on another level of, of listening. Like I was listening and then I was like, oh my gosh, like that's that running is incredible and, and I couldn't like I couldn't put the book down, so to speak, you know? Right. Um, it was super engaging. With that, with those two paragraphs specifically, Brandon Sanderson is doing three things. He's world building because you're learning about lashings as they're happening. He's character developing because you're learning about Zeth and how disconnected he is from his actions here. He's, he's so cold and stone-faced about this. That he was crying earlier, but it, he's run out of tears at this point, and he doesn't even—he's not even processing what he's doing. He's just walking through them and killing people. And the third one is it's very engaging action writing, like you understand the physics of what's happening here as you're learning about lashings, and it's really engaging, as you said, Paul. So the those two paragraphs specifically, I really like because Brandon Sanderson does so many things with so few words. I also thought about that a lot with specifically that table moment where he like effectively throws the table to block an exit. Cause what we know about Seth is he's not happy that he's doing this, right? He is like in a state of mourning where he, he doesn't want to do this, but that is such like an advanced maneuver to trap the people in and kill them. And you, you'd feel like he would not do that and just be like, oops, maybe some people ran away. Right. But he was set to do that and he is doing that to like his peak capability. And I don't understand that. I'll be completely honest. Like, I, I mean, I understand his oath, right? His oath stone and that he abides by that. But to the wholehearted extent that he's doing it is baffling to me. Right. He's he's very committed to following his orders because his orders for this one were kill like you've never killed before. And so he's going to do that because that's what he's been told to do. I felt like this one was a little bit different with Zeth too because one of you guys already mentioned, Paul, I think it was you, that Zeth switches a little bit in the middle of this when he goes for when he realizes that 
the king tried to lay a trap for him. And he, he says, you know, basically, oh, you've done it now. Now you've given me a reason to hate you. And, and Zeth goes from kind of holding something back and being mournful to being angry and just letting all this anger, all this frustration, all this anger and frustration mostly with himself. But he's channeling that now into the destruction, which unleash unleash was a good word, Paul, for this one, because he, he really unleashes the true Zeth here. And it's Zeth on another level. He fights three shard bears without even a shard blade himself. He hand to hand combats all three of them. Yeah, it's a mind blowing chapter for sure. And i i kind of I kind of went away, walked away from this chapter, kind of wondering though. Zeth is clearly such a skilled warrior. It it makes a point of Paul. I think you said this already too that he doesn't even need his shard blade, like you're just saying, Trevor. He can he can just take these guys on. Barehanded. They even mentioned some kind of like martial arts that he's, you know, proficient in or something like that. Yeah. But that kind of makes me wonder, how did he get so good at this? If if his background is is Shin and comes from the, the land of Shinovar, we we've been there before in one of the previous interludes, and we learned that they're like entirely peaceful, or at least mostly peaceful, where warriors are the lowest caste and violence is looked down upon and, and all this kind of stuff. Where along the road did Zeth pick up all of this this skill? What happened to him that he's trained so much to be able to do this? I I really I'm I'm getting a lot more curious about Zeth's history now, the more we see. That is definitely my number one question. I think Zeth is so awesome, but mostly because I'm curious about his past. I'm curious about like how, like what's this oath stone? Like what's that all about? And how did he get to be, how did he become deaf? Like, yeah, you know, I don't exactly. know. There's, there's so much crazy stuff about him. It's just kind of like kind of casually dropped in here in these interludes in the prologue. I mean, I guess it's not that casual. Like, it's making a very Brandon, I can tell that Brandon Sanderson made very like deliberate points to showcase Zeth and all these things, but like that's it's he's still my number one like concern and what I want to know about. I, I love how I asked this question and both of our experienced readers immediately reached their bookshelves for a book. Clearly they know something. So I was now, trying now I'm even more curious. I was trying to find the specific uh specific sentence where it says his the martial art that he uses because i remember it saying that it's designed to be passive that the martial art he's using is designed to be non-lethal but in the hands of zeth with his lashings and his stormlight it becomes more lethal than a shard blade so it's it's twisted zeth is zeth is twisting what could be a beautiful martial art of like incapacitating like someone as opposed to killing yeah. them right and it's he's turning it into a more deadly weapon than has ever been seen before i see that i see how that works but i, I couldn't i couldn't find the thing on the fly so i just had to paraphrase i had it it's the ancient martial art of kamar all right so here's here's my question for everyone who would win in a fight, Zeth or the Mistress? Mm. Um, 
they seem to both be able to casually take down shard bears, even though like we don't actually know about the mistress. That's way more ambiguous. But well, she doesn't have a shard blade, so I would say Zeth, because Zeth could just go. True. Tim. Huh? Yeah, I mean, at this point, the shard blade is a is a big advantage, um, and we don't really know at this point what like what can she do? I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, it may be an unfair question for y'all if y'all know a lot more. You, you were trying <laughs> you were trying to bait some spoilers, but uh, I'm not gonna bite, so it's fine. You're like, yeah, sure, uh, Zeth. Yeah, here's a shard blade. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to bite. Not yet. Okay. Before we leave this Zeth chapter, I do just got to say that this whole time we were experiencing this scene with Zeth, all I kept thinking to was that scene from Star Wars Rogue One, the movie where Darth Vader shows up at the end of that movie and is just laying waste to the, the Rebels and just how they're completely helpless to do anything to defend against him because he's on the, another level. Right. Sorry for the spoilers. If if anyone has not seen it, Rogue One, go watch that movie. It's it's the best Star Wars out there. It is the best Star Wars out there. But but just that that feeling that I got that little pit in my stomach of watching that scene of of Vader just wading through the helpless rebels, you know, slaying them left and right. That that's the exact thing that's happening here. Zeth is just effortlessly laying waste to this entire army that's been, you know, set in place to try and capture him. And it's almost like he doesn't even have to try. Against the Shard Bears, he has to try. But against the rest of them, it's just effortless for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they mention Dalinar keeps on mentioning that a Shard Bear uh, by themselves are essentially an army. And then... Um, I guess this is a pretty good transition if you're right with that into the into the next part. Yep. Um, yeah, like a shard bear is an army to themselves. Like Seth has got these strange powers, this surge binding, um, and like we don't we don't even really know the extent of what he could do. We're starting to see that. Yeah, I really loved seeing the the different like application. Yeah, the different like ways he could use his powers. Like my personal favorite was the partial lashing upward, where he just made himself lighter. Effectively, he lashed like one fourth of him up, and the rest was down. And I thought that was super cool. Some almost anti gravity stuff going on. Um, so I thought that was super clever too. That was probably my my favorite magical power there as well. And I had to scratch my head at that section too, because it was like, it it describes it as he lashed a quarter of his weight upwards, therefore he was half as as heavy. And I had to read that again because I was like, wait a second, oh yeah, that does make sense. If <laughs> if a quarter is pulling up and three quarters pulling down, then you're you're half your weight, which would allow you to do a lot of really cool acrobatics that you wouldn't normally be able to do. It's a, a smart use of that. Which okay, this is a complete aside, but like. I wonder when I read that, like, okay, what does this mean for his muscles? If 
he was constantly feeding on stormlight and constantly at half his weight will his muscles get weaker if he trains while being lashed to the floor is it like working with weights that kind of uh i don't know some cool thoughts with that it's lash yourself upwards and you're like it's like taking the weights off right yeah Zeth never needs to go to the gym he's just always got weights with him he just lashes himself down a little bit resistance training exactly elliot you mentioned the math on a quarter lashing up would equal half half as heavy and on my first read through of the way of the way of kings i thought it was a misprint because i was like yep no that's not right like that that's not how math works lashing stuff yeah honestly (laughs) one is takes me back to physics class yeah yeah don't lash out at me (laughs) yes all right any any closing thoughts on Zeth before we get into Feverstone Keep and the Radiance? I really hope we have another Zeth uh, moment before, like for the next set of interludes, or maybe if there's like a little ending thing. I imagine there's maybe like one more thing about Zeth before the book ends, but I don't know if we'll really see that much of him. Uh, Unless we get that showdown that you're uh, that you're asking for. True, true. I'm kind of doubting that that will happen in this book, at least. But I, I'm still sticking to that. I still think we're going to have a Zeth Kaladin interaction. If this helps your prediction any anymore, remember that he just trashed the capital, the king of Yakovet. This is not just some lord in some manor somewhere. This is probably the second most powerful person on roshar second to elokar as as when it comes to hierarchy of kingdoms yakoved is the second largest kingdom has the second most shards this is the king of yakoved and he just killed them him and his entire court basically without really trying word of this is definitely going to get to the shattered plains and the high princes in elokar there's no way they're not going to hear about this right it's kind of big alright now to start part 4 of the way of kings I want to read you I want to read you guys how Brandon Sanderson starts part 4 because it's one of my favorite dialogue pieces in like the entire entire book and just the comedy in these couple few lines are so funny to me. These are the very first wor- very first uh, words of chapter 52. Father, Adolin said, pacing it down in our sitting room, this is insane. That is appropriate, Dalinar replied dryly, as it appears, I am as well. I never claimed you were insane. Uh, actually, Renard noted, I believe that you did. But like I can just imagine the little brother like standing off to the side, and uh, Renard's just like, I, uh, actually, I believe you did. And Aiden's like, well, I might have, but I didn't mean it. Like it's such a <laughs> it's such a funny like family father son little brother thing going on here. I I, I love that dialogue so much. I thought that was good too. That was a fun little inter interaction there that you can totally 
see that being being acted out. You can totally hear those voices and the inflection and tone in, in there that you know you don't you don't even have to describe the kind of banter that's going on there. You can just you can just it leaps off the page. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this was such a good chapter, I think, to uh, I guess be our final chapter for this episode. Right, it's the first chapter, part four, but we see a lot. We see a whole lot, and I honestly like we see this. Uh, I guess like with uh, that the cute little moment with Renarin, and then um, and then there's a whole scene of Dalinar's vision into the Day of Recreance, and I specifically remember listening to this i listened to that vision and then i was like what and so i just had to re-listen because i was pretty lost and i honestly so much happened and uh i didn't know what to think we we got i feel like i just got introduced to so many like major details that i was like this is incredibly important but I don't know how yet, but this is like really, really incredibly important. Right. Um, uh, Elliot, if you were looking for Feverstone Keep on your map, it's you're not going to find it. <laughs> I, I I was, as we started yeah, reading this chapter, Paul, I had the exact same feeling of there's got, there's a lot of important information here in this chapter. I have a feeling I'm going to be flipping back to this chapter in the future to, to learn some things because there's not enough here for me to piece together a whole lot, but I think it's telling me more than I than I think it is. And yes, the very first myth, myth or the very first mystery that I'm I'm trying to solve is where are they in this in this vision? And the only clue we get is that it's winter, or that it's very cold where they're at. And we've seen a lot of places in Roshar now. I was actually thinking with now with all the interludes that we've been, we've been to quite a few places uh, across Roshar now with different scenes that we've seen. But most of them, if not all of them, seem to be very warm places. They're deserts or they're tropical islands or they're Alethkar or Shattered Plains. We don't get a lot of places that are described as as cold. So I don't really know. There's kind of, Trevor, I think you've mentioned before that Roshar is is clearly in the southern hemisphere of its of its planet, in that the northern portions of Roshar are the the warmer ones, closer to the equator, and the southern portions are are closer to the poles, and so colder. So my only conclusion would be that we're somewhere in the southern half of Roshar, maybe kind of the southeast corner, south of the the Shattered Plains, is is one of the few places we haven't been. Although I think Carbranth is down there, ish. So yeah, I was trying to piece that out, but I couldn't find any clues. Carbroth is down there, and directly south of the Shattered Plains, it's called the Frostlands. So, yeah, maybe that's that's where we are. You mentioned that's the, my only guess. You mentioned the cold, and I wanted to highlight this part because this stuck out to me on my read through this time. I didn't catch it the last, um, however many times I've read this book, and um, Dalinar uh, describes the vision as the air was cold enough that clumps of ice clung to the stone. And that made me think that I always think of Roshar as always like wet. There's always puddles everywhere. Like this, the rocks are always wet and like, cause high storms, you know, once every four or five days, whatever. But this made me think of how miserable 
a cold high storm would be. Let like I I really enjoy thunderstorms. I really enjoy, you know, sitting in the rain, but a like an ice high storm with there's just ice just sitting in the like sitting on the stone from the last high storm. That's oh, that like that would be terrible to to be stuck out in. It it's like those pictures you see sometimes of like icicles going sideways right like off of something like that that's what i envision too is that's what a high an ice high storm produces is those like sideways icicles because the wind was so crazy right yeah i I specifically remember it it talking about the the cold and that it had been cold for a long time i imagine they i don't know this actually never thought about it but i imagine they have seasons we know at least that there's the weeping, which is kind of a season. Um, but maybe there's temperature differences. But at least where they're at, it's cold for an extended amount of time, uh, which seemed very unusual to Dalinar. So, and we do know, as as far as I know, this is in the past. So I'm wondering if it's mm-hmm. was very different in the past, you know, like different weather climates. That's an interesting thought. What Dalinar, what Dalinar notes is that they said 40 days of winter and Dalinar thinks that's a long time. So mm-hmm. Roshar is very fast with its uh with its cycles. In in a year between like a thousand day weepings, um there's a thousand days between um weepings. In a year that there's so many seasons. It goes from summer to winter to spring to fall. And Adolin has noticed in the has noted in the past that it's not predictable that there will be a high storm and then you're in three weeks of spring and then there'll be a high storm and then you're thrown into winter for two weeks and then there'll be another high storm and then you're in summer for two weeks so being stuck in winter for four, 40 full days is surprising to Dalinar something I just noticed um, eight weeks is what he says eight weeks equals 40 days so there's five days in a week for Roshar um, and that's about when the high storms come around. So that makes sense. It's about a week between high storms. And so um, they say that um, weather usually lasts, seasons usually last for not more than two to three weeks normally. So it's like every time a high storm comes, the weather could change. Still trying to figure out all the all the implications of that because that literally just occurred to me. So we know that this is like a different place in a different time, obviously. So, so there's a lot of unknown. Uh, Elliot mentioned that, you know, this is a, a chapter that we'll likely have to flip back to. And that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I can't wait until like later on when Elliot's like, remember that chapter? <laughs> this is what happened there. And now we know what that is or, and stuff and I, I specifically was really excited to hear Elliot's thoughts on on these events and, and, and what was going on. Uh we see about the day of recreance and that's been mentioned before, right? Um I had assumed it had been mentioned. It sounded familiar to me, but I didn't remember what was significant about that. I didn't know if y'all remembered that. Uh, I know Dalinar uh, what we learned from his vision at least. It seemed to be the day that, I guess, the Knights Radiant like kind of abandoned 
they kind of abandoned their posts, so to speak, um, and gave up their shard blades and a lot of stuff that I, I really didn't understand why or what's going on here. Um, and uh, yeah, honestly, th this is one of the chapters that's just like, here's a ton of questions. We'll probably find out a year from now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> before before Tim gives you some information, uh, Elliot, what are your what are your thoughts? I enjoyed this chapter quite a bit for the the hints the the tease for what's coming coming later because I want to know so much more about the Knights Radiant and we get a little bit here. the The first thing I I noticed was we mentioned before that shard bearers are their own army. Well, Dalinar looks out over the ramparts of this keep and sees what two hundred shard bearers marching towards the keep or something like that, and just how that blows his mind. He even does like some mental math and thinks. You know, oh, in, in all of Roshar today, there's maybe a hundred shard blades, you know, total in the entire world. And here's 200 right here in front of me. This is crazy. So definitely on another scale. And then we got an interesting mention in this chapter about orders. It was mentioned about the, the orders of knights and how they mentioned two of the orders. But then he says, but there were 10 orders. What of the other eight? That has me has me intrigued. Of are those like different subdivisions of the the Knights Radiant? Are these different factions? Uh, I was I was curious about that, but yeah, like you said, Paul, a lot of questions. All right, Tim, what do you All got? Right. I am just checking about what shows up in the index at the end of the book. Do you need me to um, fill for something? So I would love for you to fill for something. Sure. So I can talk about Dalinar in this vision because Dalinar is very commanding in in nature and person, and he just can't help himself. When he sees one of his fellow guardsmen nodding off, he he chides them real quick and he's like, "Hey, stop, 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 uh, stop nodding off. Stay alert." And they all kind of look at him like. What? Like what aren't you supposed to be asleep? What are you doing? <laughs> like you this from you? Like so they don't see him as Dalinar, obviously. Was that long enough, Tim? Yes. Um so I'll, I'll tell you what I can. Um first of all, there's more to come. Read <laughs> and find out. Uh Brandon Sanderson's favorite um favorite answer to questions is read and find out um but like the basic order of the knight's radiance of the knight's radiant um was that there were 10 orders and at this point like we don't know much more than that but obviously something made them different and he notices um, that the stone wards are all in brown and the wind runners mm -hmm. are all in blue so yeah and I can refer you back to the chapter with Sigzil, where he tells you a little bit more about the Knights Radiant. And he said they all have the same first ideal, and then their ideals were different for the other the other five, or other four. There's five total for each order of Knights Radiant. Now we don't we don't know necessarily what that means or what the implications are of that. But uh, 
like they're different orders. They have different ideals. Um, ideals usually something you would live your life by. And so that's kind of the going back to the colors. We've seen these two colors before in Dalinar's vision. So when he was fighting the Midnight Essence, the there were two knights radiant that came and joined him to fight. One was blue, and one w- had eyes that glowed of amber, if you remember. And that that knight healed uh, Dalinar and his vision wife. It, uh, I don't remember her name, um, but uh, that that knight healed Dalinar. So if amber is the same as brown, we've probably seen these same two knights uh, of orders before. Interesting. I did not piece those together. That's an interesting bit of information. I did not either. Um, I'm really curious to to learn more about the Knights Radiant. I feel like that may be the biggest like historic like group that that's super pressing, right? Like they seemed incredible and had these awesome powers, and they I guess all had shard blades, or at least a ton of them did. Um, so I look forward to learning more, more about that. And honestly, as far as the Dalinar story goes, I think that's what I've, like, that's the biggest thing we've learned. Like, biggest piece uh, that gets me super invested in his story. Um, we see a lot of awesome Dalinar moments, uh, but kind of this, this in-depth, like, well, not super in-depth, these, these stories and these visions with the Knights Radiant, super intriguing and uh i know dalinar always mentions that like maybe he's gone mad but i think us as the reader know that there's got to be something more significant at least i think it would be kind of lame if later on it's like oh yeah these are just kind of like he was crazy he's a crazy man you know (laughs) right um so i i'm i'm pretty confident that uh, these (laughs) these are important visions and that uh, the 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 Knights Radiant. This is them, and this was the Day of Recreants, and this is some crazy stuff. Um, and yeah, and then also, uh, my biggest question, or one of my biggest questions with this chapter, aside from just seeing the 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 Day of Recreants, is with the old magic we had that like introduced. Before we saw that in the the interlude, um, but we found out that Dalinar, I guess the first person we actually know, has a tie to it. It mentions that he seeked the old magic, and I was a little confused there, naturally. Um, but yeah, I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that. I was rather surprised to read that Dalinar has visited the the Night Watcher and participated or gotten the the old magic or whatever this is. Dalinar does not strike me as someone who would seek after that sort of thing. It it seemed like from the the interlude that we got with with Baxel that this is kind of like the your life is in ruins, you have nothing else, you just you go to the old magic to see if you can improve your fortunes kind of thing. It's the it's it's something that someone who's very superstitious 
goes after, which Dalinar seems to be the opposite of that. So to hear that he's gone to the old magic was really surprising. But it shed some light on some stuff that, or maybe some potential light on some stuff that I've been very curious about. In the same breath, like the very following paragraph after the old magic, we get another paragraph about Dalinar's wife. And I I don't know how much I've talked about this on on this uh, the main episodes for the podcast, but Dalinar cannot remember his wife and or his, his ex-wife, or we don't really know. And it seems to be maybe pointing that the old magic has something to do with that. Was that is that his curse that he can't remember his wife? Or is that his boon that he can't remember his wife? Like all of that seems to tie together and I'm rather intrigued and surprised by that bit. So you said that you're surprised that you didn't think Dalinar was the type of person to go looking for that type of thing. Yeah. However, if you remember back to the prologue, Dalinar is drunk, slumped in his chair. And we have not seen Dalinar touch alcohol since. So back when Gavilar was the king of Alethkar, Dalinar was a very different person. We don't know who that person is, but he he was certainly different back however many years ago. And so would today Dalinar go seeking the dark, the Night Watcher? You're you're right, probably not, but Dalinar hasn't always been like he is now. And we do know that much. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's exactly what I was thinking. In that it, it even mentions um yeah, yeah, like we've we've seen in the past that uh, Sadius and Dalinar and Gavilar and them they were all kind of you know, they were all comrades and they as far as I know Dalinar was a pretty standard normal man for for most of the time, you know, it liked the material things and and uh and stuff and really became this more wholesome fanatic i guess um Mm -hmm. in in his older age um so i would totally believe that like in his younger years especially since he seemed very highly revered as like an incredible warrior you know the blackthorn right um and i would totally believe that uh that he would have sought it out when he was younger the the banter back and forth between Dalinar and Adolin after the vision is sticks out to me in this chapter. I really enjoy it because Adolin is kind of like an immature brat in that he just he doesn't want Dalinar to step down because he doesn't want to be in charge. He doesn't want the the uh, responsibility of being high prince, and that's the only reason why. And Adolin is. Adolin doesn't care that Dalinar is quite literally losing his mind over this. He just doesn't want to be High Prince. So he's he's suggesting anything and everything to get Dalinar to not step down. And Dalinar kind of loses his temper with him. He's just like, what like what do you want me to do? I I cannot go on living like this and still be High Prince. I need help. And you are not helping me at all. And like it's such a that's such a cool moment that Dalinar is so being so raw and genuine here and Adolin just wants to sit at wine houses all day and court court young ladies. 
and duel. And duel. I, I thought that that was a really admirable sentiment from from Dalinar from a leadership perspective. I think that his 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 idea that he can't lead if he doesn't truly believe in himself. I think right. that is really telling about how Dalinar goes about his his leadership, in that he's he has powership leader, powerful leadership skills because he's so genuine, because he's so honest, because he's so authentic, and he knows that if he tried to fake it, he would lose all of that. And I think that says a lot about it. Dalinar is very wise to to know that 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 is the the, the secret sauce for his his leadership model and that he would lose that if he tried to to fake it going forward. And when he tries to explain that to Navani, as Navani is trying to start a relationship between them, start spark something there, he he kind of I, I imagined it kind she's kind he's kind of yelling at her a an explanation of why he can't go through like go through with this because if he makes if he calls the rest of the high princes out for not living up to an honor code and then starts breaking the honor code for himself he becomes something far worse than them and that is really powerful uh powerful phrase because they're not even trying to live up to the honor codes but if he tries to and fails he thinks he's worse than they are and that's a very interesting uh, mindset to have, and I don't know if I agree. So I, I think I definitely do agree with with Dalinar. Again, coming at it from a leadership perspective, Dalinar is holding himself to a to a higher standard than he does everyone else, or or at least he he's chastising others for for not holding themselves to a moral code, whereas he is holding himself to a, a moral code. And I think that that level of accountability and that level of discipline is necessary for someone who is is in a leadership position. I think th- people that are put in a leadership position or take on that role should be held to a higher standard of of honor and ethics and morals because of the the position that they're in over over others. And so for Dalinar to to hold himself to that, I think is very admirable of him from a from a leadership you know him is in a place of authority over others kind of perspective. I The reason why I said I didn't necessarily agree because the other high princes are in leadership roles. They are leading their own princedoms, but they're not even trying. They're just enjoying the the casual richness of being a high prince and not taking any of the responsibility, or at least that's how Dalinar sees them. And Dalinar is at least trying. He may not succeed in all every point, but he thinks he would be worse if he settled for um, some of the codes and not others. I I tend to agree. Um, If you're gonna set up a code and say I believe this, um, you should hold to it. now I I don't I think they've mentioned it so far that like that's just there's a difference between the codes and tradition. 
um, and this one's tradition. And so I can, I can see it. I don't think um, it would necessarily be be wrong in this case. Um, but I definitely agree with you that if if you're gonna claim to hold something as true and as good and want other people to follow it, uh, then you yourself should definitely be at least attempting to follow it. Um, not that not that you're gonna be perfect. But that um, you're not saying, okay, well, I think all of this is right, but I only like this, so I'm only going to do this. Or I don't like this, and so I'm not going to do that. Tim uh, said everything that I was saying with way fewer words. Well done. <laughs> so we definitely see a, uh, a lot of, about Dalinar, um, and I don't really mean to to go to a, a less serious note or a different note but but with the conversation with Navani I I don't understand it completely I understand like why he was speaking with Navani and stuff but Maybe I was getting the wrong like interpretation from listening to the audiobook, but the co- the ending conversation was very weird and uncomfortable. Well, it's supposed <laughs> to be, but what's your yeah, what's your question? Like what's your question? Aren't they they're related, right? Like not by blood. <laughs> so I thought by blood, so no. it was very uncomfortable. Oh no. Uh, no. <laughs> Navani <laughs> married <laughs> Navani married Gavilar's or Gavilar, who's Dalinar's brother. Okay, okay. So slightly better. So so Dalinar certainly thinks they're views them as family, but Navani does not. Navani views herself as an eligible widow and him as an eligible bachelor. (laughs) Okay. If that helped, <laughs> sure. Yes, I, uh, I did get that from Navani. I was, yeah, I, 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 I think I understood. I, I was trying to figure out why. Like, what's the point of this conversation? Uh, and maybe it shows why Delinar doesn't like speaking with Navani. He, he, maybe this has been kind of a recurring thing for the past week. I don't know. It seems like a weird, awkward situation. Um, and so I didn't mean to like bring that back and end on it because honestly, <laughs> I don't care to talk about it. But um... hey, the chapter ends on an awkward note, so maybe it's appropriate that we end the podcast episode on an awkward note. True, I guess so. <laughs> so uh, I'm I, I was relieved to know that that they aren't related by blood. <laughs> We're good. It's all good. Because <laughs> first, yeah. my first remembrance was I thought of Navani as like a. F- we always knew she was like a family member, so I just assumed by by blood. Um, so that makes me feel a little better. Yeah, I find the the dichotomy in Dalinar really interesting. Uh, where out of like kind of a recurring theme is that he doesn't really trust anyone, but out of all the people that he could have chosen, he trusts Navani. And so, like, there's there's an interesting level of 
there's so much trust put in here. Like this could wreck him if it got out um, that maybe he's going insane. Like what's going on? That, that would be, that would be crazy. And people wouldn't know what to think, but he trusts her enough for this to do what is right for, for the princedom and for the nation. Um, but he's got that personal level of, I don't want to talk to you. And we don't really know why yet. I'm glad you said something, Paul. So you're not just uncomfortable the entire time as, <laughs> as this, these chapters go forward. <laughs> True. Yeah. I, I'm glad to get a little bit of clarification on that. It will definitely help my, uh, my listening to any other dialogue between them. So all right, any closing thoughts on episode 15 as a whole, gentlemen? I am mostly curious with the past. I'm curious about Zeth's past. I'm curious about now the Day of Recreance and the Night's Radiant and all things in the past. Um, that, that's my big point of interest right now. Okay. Paul, as usual, we bounce each other out well because I'm actually most intrigued for the future now. I'm I'm excited to get back into Dalinar's storyline and figure out where he's going. Is he going to step down? Is Adolin going to step up? Where where are we going with this? I feel like we've been on the Shattered Plains for a little while now, both with Kaladin and with Dalinar. I feel like something big is going to happen soon, and I really want to know what it's going to be. Well, we are in part four, so we're coming up on the end of the book fairly quickly, so... Mm-hmm. something's coming it's coming to a head all right thank you for joining me tim paul and elliot and we shall reconvene next next week farewell adios Cheers.